Will you join with me as we turn our attention to God's Word? Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, we once again come before you in prayer and we turn our attention now to your Word. The Word, Lord, that you have written. The Word that reveals to us your person, your work, your Son, Jesus Christ. And Lord, it is through your Word that you teach us your ways and allow us, Lord, to know truth. So we pray that you will help us as we open your Word, that we will have understanding, that we will have insight, and we will see all the more, Father, what you call us to as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we give ourselves, we give our attention to you, Lord. Uh, Give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to receive what you have for us. And Father, we thank you and praise you for hearing us in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we begin a new series of messages uh, today, uh, permit me as an introduction uh, to review some basic truths regarding uh, the Christian life. Uh, first, uh, it is important for us to understand that a person becomes a Christian by faith in Jesus Christ, trusting Him as one's own personal Savior and Lord. This coming to faith in Christ includes uh, turning from sin and and oneself. The Bible calls this repentance. In this coming to Christ also, uh, an individual is born again by the Holy Spirit, uh, born from above supernaturally to be made spiritually alive and regenerated. And the person who is a true Christian is trusting Christ alone for the forgiveness of sin, and is receiving from him the gift of eternal life that is ours from that moment of salvation. So the believer from the moment of salvation becomes a disciple of Jesus Christ. A disciple is a learner, a student One who follows the teacher, Uh, depending on your translation, uh, the one who follows the rabbi, the one who follows uh, the master, with the goal of becoming like uh, the master. Jesus put it this way, a student is not above his teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like his teacher, Luke 6, verse 40. And so the call to believe in Jesus is a call to lifelong discipleship. Jesus said in Luke 14.33 that uh, disciples are to forsake all uh, and follow him. The goal for every Christian then, every Christ follower, every disciple of Christ is ultimately to become like the Lord Jesus in thoughts, motives, 
words and actions. What does your life and mine look like today? Are we more like Jesus than we were uh, six months ago? A year ago? Five years ago? The Lord tells us in Romans 8.29 of his ultimate purpose for believers. For those whom God foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the likeness, to the image of his Son, that Jesus, he, might be the firstborn among many brothers. In, in recent uh, months, uh, as I have uh, concluded uh, 2021 uh, reading through the New Testament, I have uh, now picked up a, a Bible that divides uh, the entire Bible into Old Testament reading, Psalm, Proverb, and then a New Testament reading. And I have to uh, admit to you that uh, uh, I have been extremely challenged by scriptures in recent day by the high demands that the Lord places upon uh, his followers. This is especially true with the words of Jesus. How many of you have maybe wrestled with the words that Jesus spoke, at least to one individual, where he says, if you will be perfect, if you will be my disciple, then go sell everything that you have, give it to the poor, and then come and follow me and you will have treasures in heaven. Anybody else wrestle with that? Demand that Jesus makes upon his followers to give up everything and follow him. I think of even some of the commands that, that Jesus has given uh, as his followers about serving others and what that's supposed to look like uh, in daily living. And I wonder, do I live out the, the teachings of Christ and as I have thought about these things, and the Lord has uh, convicted me in many respects, I realize and recognize that I have a lot of growing to do. I'm sure that maybe you feel the same way as well. And so, one of the things that uh, I'd like for us to consider as we look at this uh, new subject from Scripture called Growing in Christ, is that I hope that you understand as, as a Christ follower that spiritual maturity and spiritual growth is not automatic. It doesn't just happen by virtue of being a Christian uh, or the, the passage of time. This doesn't make one mature in Christ-likeness. Uh, I remember uh, many years ago, uh, we were part of a home Bible study. One of the young men that was part of that study uh, in, in the, that come out of the conversation of the study uh, s said, I don't want to just grow old, but I want to grow old in Christ meaning I want to grow up in Christ, I want to mature in Christ, I want to be more uh, Christ-like that. Um, 
We know that even in the natural realm that a, a person by virtue of time can grow naturally, you know, from the stage of infancy to, to toddler to childhood to, to teen to adulthood. However, that doesn't mean that the individual, once they reach 18, 20, and maybe even later, is necessarily mature. In fact, don't we sometimes use phrases with certain individuals because of the way that they're behaving or the way that they're acting or responding? Oh, grow up already. Or why don't you act your age? Or you might look at them and say, that's so immature. See, the passage of time does not necessarily mean that you and I are maturing just as human beings, number one, but number two, even more so, in our Christian walk. It's great that a person can know Christ for 30, 40, 50, 60, maybe even 70 years if God gives them long life. But that doesn't necessarily mean that that individual is maturing and growing in Christ as God would desire us to grow in him. In fact, we need to be aware that there are many things that can stunt spiritual growth. The writer to the Hebrews uh, in Hebrews chapter 5, verses 11 through 14, says these words. We have much to say about this, but it's hard to explain because you are slow to learn. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. You know, as time moves on in the natural realm, a, 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 an infant goes from eating milk to solid food and the writer here says that's an analogy of the spiritual life. And there are some Christians who are just still drinking milk when they should be at adulthood and eating solid food and knowing how to handle the Word of God and apply it and live it out in life. And they're hindered in this context. And, and it's interesting, in the greater context of Hebrews, one of the things that hinders them from growing is they're drifting away from Christ. That was one of the first warnings that the writer to the Hebrews made, that we have to be careful lest we let the things of Christ slip away from us and we drift away and are just sort of adrift on life and just sort of waiting for Jesus to come back without any other goal uh, in mind. It's interesting that the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 3 uh, rebuked uh, the Corinthian Christians uh, for their... Uh, lack of, of spiritual maturity. Uh, notice what he says in 1 Corinthians 3, uh, in the first four verses. Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as spiritual, but as worldly, as mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not ready indeed for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly. Since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere men? 
For one says, I follow Paul. Another says, I follow Apollos. Are you not mere men? And here Paul is rebuking these Corinthian Christians who, by the way, had all the spiritual gifts manifest in their midst, but yet they were still spiritually immature. And what was the cause of that? They were hindered by jealousy, by strife, by cliques. By saying, well, I'm part of this little group. I'm part of that little group. I'm of Paul. I'm of Apollos. I'm of Cephas. And then you had the super spiritual who just said, well, I'm of Christ. But it wasn't said in a, in a godly sense or in a good sense. It was said because they were still acting worldly. They, their, their spiritual maturity had not been realized fully in their lives. They were still acting like the fallen creatures that we are by nature. <laughs> and Paul rebukes them for that. Now we're going to explore these uh, in more details in the coming weeks, some of these passages. So uh, I just wanted to uh, give you uh, 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 some examples here this morning. Some might object, though, and say, well, isn't it enough that I'm saved? Isn't it enough that I belong to Jesus and that, you know, he's forgiven my sins and given me eternal life? Pastor, you're making too much of this idea of spiritual growth. But let me remind you that the references to spiritual growth in the Christian life are plentiful. And I'm going to share with us here this morning just a few, few of them as a sample uh, of these uh, that are referring to spiritual growth. Uh, in fact, spiritual growth in Scripture is implied. If you turn with me to Mark's Gospel for a moment, Mark chapter 3, and verses 13 through 15, you'll see these words. Jesus went up uh, on a mountainside, and he called to him those whom he wanted. And they, they came to him, and he appointed twelve, designating them apostles. So here is Jesus setting apart 12 of all of his disciples that he had at this time who, whom would be apostles or sent ones that would have a unique relationship to Christ and a unique ministry in relationship to Christ. And notice what it says regarding these 12, that they might be number one with him. They spent time with him. The, the earthly ministry of Jesus was approximately three years maybe a little longer. And they spent time with him. That's, that's, what a, that's what a disciple did. He spent time with his teacher, his rabbi, his master. And, and one of the things that was part of that process of their being apostles was spending time with Jesus. And notice this, that he might send them out to preach. They didn't do that immediately. They spent time with Jesus first. And then they were sent out to preach. And then it also says here, and that they might have authority to drive out demons. Now, I'm sure that they had to learn from the Lord at his feet what that exactly meant and how they were to have that authority and exercise that authority. He didn't just send them out and say, here's the message, just go start ministering. It's implied that they had to grow. They had to grow into that relationship with Christ. They had to grow into that ministry. They had to grow into that apostleship that Christ was calling them to. And the same is true for you and me in the Christian life. Now, this is not just a, a New Testament concept. Notice, if you would, it's implied in the Old Testament. Turn to the book of Psalms, to the very first Psalm, 
where the psalmist here is setting before us really the only two paths that exist in life. The one that follows God and the one that goes his own way. And notice what he says here in the first three verses. Blessed is the man, blessed is the woman who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of scoffers. Well, how is that possible? Verse 2, but his delight is in the law of the Lord and on his law he meditates day and night. See, there's a vital connection with the Word of God in a person's life and spiritual growth. And notice what he says here in verse 3. He will be like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither, and whatever he does prospers. Did you catch that? Then it's a, a green, a luscious, a fruitful tree, and it brings, brings forth fruit in season? That means that there's a process that is taking place in the individual life who's following God and wanting the Word of God to be the, the, the guidance and the, the compass uh, and the roadmap to life. Do you see that connection here? But notice what is also said here in Psalm 92. Psalm 92. At verse 12, the psalmist writes, The righteous will flourish like a palm tree, they will grow like the cedars of Lebanon, which were mammoth, massive trees that were grand. Planted by the house of the Lord, they will flourish in the courts of, of God. And, and get this verse, verse 14. They will still bear fruit in old age. They will stay fresh and green, proclaiming the Lord is upright. He is my rock, and in him there is no wickedness. There's never a time in the Christian life where you and I, in a sense, mature and we just sort of move into retirement and we, we no longer are fruitful. This verse is saying that even in old age in Christ, a man of God, a woman of God can be fruitful for the things of God and have an impact. In fact, proclaiming that the Lord is righteous and there is no unrighteousness, no wickedness in Him. And you notice how the focus is on Him from a person's life that they're pointing to the Lord the true and living God. Now it's illustrated as well. Turn to Jeremiah chapter 17. Jeremiah chapter 17. And here there's a comparison that's made uh, by the prophet in Jeremiah 17 verses uh, 5 through 8. Um, the Lord says through the prophet, cursed is the one who trusts in man, who depends upon his flesh for his strength, and whose heart turns away from the Lord. He's going to be like a brush in the wastelands. He will not see prosperity when it comes. He will dwell in the parched places of the desert, in the salt land where, there, where no one lives. And you see the, 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 the desolation, the desert, the, the nothingness that is there of the person who trusts in himself and fails to trust in the Lord. But by way of contrast, blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord whose confidence is in him. He will be like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the streams. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in the year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. Again, speaking about 
the righteous, those who are in Christ, those who are the redeemed, those who belong to God, having a fruitful, green, alive life because of Christ. Now notice in the New Testament, back to the Gospel of Mark for a moment, it's illustrated by Jesus uh, teaching in the parable uh, of the sower and the seeds. Do you remember that? We won't explore the details of that this morning other than to say in Mark chapter 4 verses uh, 3 through 9 that Jesus talks about the four different soils on which the seed is sown. The seed is the word of God. The soil is the heart of individuals, the heart of man, the heart of women, the individual heart. And how do the heart responds to God? And notice that out of those four soils, the only one that was productive was the good soil, the good heart, the one that receives the word of God, is willing to accept what God says in his word, to believe its truth and to act upon it. And notice that he said some produce 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. There is a fruitfulness that comes from God's word being believed and acted upon in faith in one's life. And it produces fruit. But not only is it implied and not only is it illustrated, but spiritual growth is also commanded and expected by the Lord. Notice what he says to us here in 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. The first three verses, 1 Peter chapter 2, Peter writes, Therefore, writing to believers, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy, envy and slander of every kind. Wait a minute, Peter. You mean believers can act this way? Oh, yes, they can. That's why we need to grow. That's why we need to mature. That's why we need a continual relationship with Christ and the indwelling power and presence of the Spirit of God to transform us. And he says, like newborn babes, crave pure spiritual milk so that you might grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Don't be satisfied in your Christian walk and even the fruit that is being produced in your life as a believer. Press on to know the Lord. Seek to know Him better and grow up in your salvation in Jesus Christ. In fact, he says in, again to these same uh, uh, readers in his second letter, 2 Peter uh, chapter 1, verses 5 and following, He says, for this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith. Well, wait a minute. Add to my faith? Yeah, live it out in your life in these ways. Add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance and to perseverance godliness and to godliness brotherly kindness and to brotherly kindness love. When you look at your life, when I look at my life, do you see these qualities being manifest? As a Christ follower, do you long for those kind of qualities that God speaks of? And notice what he says here, verse 8. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, do you see how there's growth there? There's production. There's a continuing on. They will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. You will have a life that is productive, that is fruitful, that bears fruit unto God, that helps to accomplish His purposes by His using your life for His honor and for His glory. 
And then a key verse, which is commanded. One of the key verses in this series. 2 Peter chapter 3, uh, verses 17 and 18. This is how Peter concludes his second letter. He writes, Dear friends, since you already know this, be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by the error of lawless men and fall from your own uh, secure position. How does that happen? Verse 18, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. How does one remain secure? How does one uh, avoid being led astray into falsehood? or into unbelief, or to drift away by growing, growing in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord and Jesus, of our Savior Jesus Christ. Let me ask you, are you obeying these commands and growing in Christ? You might say to yourself, well, what does growing in Christ look like? What does it mean for you and for me? What, what is the end result if we are truly growing in our walk with God? Well, let me suggest these things. Number one, growing in Christ produces Christ-like character. Produces Christ-like character. Look with me at Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 13. We'll, we'll talk about the greater context here in a moment, but uh, just note this here until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. You want to know God's ultimate purpose? That you and I become mature in Jesus Christ, becoming like Him. Now we know that that process, that work will be finally complete when we're glorified. But here in this earthly journey, we're in the process of that happening. And you and I are called to more and more Christ-likeness each and every day as we follow Him. And that's what growing in Christ will produce. It will produce Christ-like character. You want to know what Christ-like character is like? Read Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. The fruit of the Spirit. And those nine facets of the fruit give us a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's all these things in perfection. And that is what the Spirit of God wants to reproduce within you and within me and within every believer as we grow in Christ and become like Him. A second thing that growing in Christ will do is that it provides stability in the faith. It provides a stability in the faith. Notice in this context, as a person grows and matures, verse 13, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. There's stability that comes to, to our faith and to our life when you grow and mature in Christ. That way, when a person writes a book uh, that, that says that Jesus is not God or, or that he was the, the, the result of a relationship between uh, Joseph and Mary or any other type of false teaching that's out there. You and I can read that and immediately say, well, that's foolishness. 
And it's amazing. It's amazing that, that so many people can be led astray uh, by, by doctrines that are out there today. When the Word of God clearly says one thing, and they go in a totally different direction. I remember there was a man that was on the radio years ago who, 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 who uh, was trying to say that we're, we're in the day of the Lord. That was his whole teaching. And the only people that were really part of the true church were those who followed this man's teaching. And I remember uh, someone called into his program and, and said, uh, so-and-so, I can't remember the man's name now. The, the Lord said, we don't know the day or the hour of his return. Nobody knows that. And you're setting a date. He says, but we can know. And he went to the scriptures and tried to justify his position. Well, lo and behold, it's been about 25 plus years and the Lord hasn't come back yet. So who was right? The word of God or this so-called prophet who said the Lord was coming back on this certain date? We're not led astray by that kind of foolishness. And how is that so? Because we grow and mature in our faith and in our walk with God so that we're not led astray by those things. And it produces a stability to faith and to our life. In fact, Jesus, to change the illustration here, said in Matthew 7, verses 24 through 27, that the one who takes his word to heart and acts upon it is like the person who builds his house upon a rock. And the storms will come. The floods will come. The, the trials will come against that house, referring to the person's life. But you know what? That house isn't going to fall. Why? Because it's built upon the rock, the rock of Jesus Christ and the rock of God's word. But the foolish person is one who builds his house on the sinking sand, on the philosophies of the world, the thoughts of the world, the approaches of the world, humanism, humanity, and everything that is of man. And the same storms come, but there is a great fall that happens. But you see, if you and I grow and mature in Jesus Christ, it will produce a stability in our faith and in our life and in our walk with God. Also, growing in Christ presents an example worthy of following. Growing in Christ produces an example worthy of following. If you look with me at 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, at verse 4, the Apostle Paul is praising these Thessalonian believers uh, they, they, were, they were growing in their faith. Uh, they, they, were, they were accepting the word of God, as he says here in verse 5, with deep conviction. Uh, and they, and they, 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 they looked at Paul and his co-workers. And in verse 6 he says, You became imitators of us and of the Lord. In spite of severe suffering, you welcomed the message with joy given you by the Holy Spirit. And notice this, verse 7, and you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we don't need to say anything about it, for they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell us how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and the true God, and that you wait for his Son from heaven who raised us from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. And Paul was applauding, if you would, this local church and says, you're, you're, you're living out the Christian life. You, are, you, are, you become a model. You become an example to other churches in the way that you're living. 
And in fact, so much so that the word of God is not only being heard in your general vicinity, it's going out all over the place. And who would think that a small congregation in Roanoke, Virginia could reach the very ends of the earth? God could do it through people who are growing in their faith in Christ. And a local church itself can be an example to other believers as well. And then lastly, growing in Christ prepares the believer for service. If you turn back with me, please, to Ephesians chapter 4 again, uh, in the greater context of this, Paul is talking about uh, how God has given to the church apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Verse 11, why were these given? Why were these gifts given to the church? Verse 12, to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ might be built up. Why are these gifts given? So that you and I might be built up in Christ. That we might grow, that we might mature, that we might become more Christ-like, but also that we might be prepared to be useful to the Lord and be able to serve Him. Because notice what it says here, verse 15, uh, by way of contrast from those who are deceiving, verse 14, instead, believers are speaking the truth in love, and we will in all things grow up into Him who is the head, that is Christ. Now notice what the next verse says. From Him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Maturing in Christ prepares you and prepares me to be useful for God's service and for the benefit of the body of Christ and for the benefit of ultimately proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. The church exists to help the believer grow and to mature in Jesus Christ. And it is not possible to do this being independent of one another. It is not possible to grow spiritually being independent of the local body of Christ. As, as important and as wonderful as media is that we can be in people's homes who cannot be physically present, that, that, that is an exception, not the rule. It's not an excuse to stay home and say, well, I can just get my spiritual nourishment on TV and I don't have to interact with believers. That is not God's purpose for the church. We are to be together and interact and minister to one another. Not just me as pastor ministering to you, but you ministering to me and we ministering to one another so that it builds up the body of Christ and we grow in love and in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Can I get a witness? <laughs> so where are you today this morning in relationship to God? Do you know Christ as your Lord and Savior? Are you sure that you have faith in Him that is saving you? The Bible tells us that by nature, we are sinful people. We've offended a holy God, and as a result of that, we deserve His judgment for our sins, for our rebellion, for, our, for going our own way. But God, in the person of His Son, Jesus Christ, provided a way of salvation. He lived a perfect life. God became man and came into this world, lived a perfect life. 
And the Lord Jesus Christ, on that Good Friday many centuries ago, some 2,000 plus years ago, was lifted up on a cross. And when he did that, God placed upon him the sin of the world as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And he bore the punishment for your sin and for mine. And the scripture tells us that whoever believes on the Lord Jesus Christ will be saved. Whoever takes him by faith as Lord and Savior, recognizing that they themselves are a sinner, wanting to turn from their sin, and then placing their faith in Jesus Christ and Christ alone for salvation, are saved, are made a child of God, are forgiven their sins, and fit for eternity with God. You might say to yourself, I know that. If you don't know that, and you don't know him personally, I urge you to put your faith in Christ and come to him and say, Lord, save me. It's the simplest prayer that you and I can pray, but if it's uttered in faith and recognition of who Christ really is, the Lord will save you. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You say this morning, uh, yes, I am a Christian. Yes, I am a Christ follower. Yes, I am a disciple. Well, let me ask you, as I ask myself, are you growing in him? Is your life producing the fruits of salvation? Is there evidence of spiritual maturity that's taking place? And in what you have heard uh, and that we've shared together today from God's word, do you realize that you have more growing to do in your walk with God I don't know about you, but I certainly do. And I would like to conclude this message using Paul's prayer and that it would be ours from Colossians 1, 9 through 14. So would you pray with me? Father, we conclude this message and the challenge that it brings to us praying these words from your, your word to us. We ask you, God, to fill us with the knowledge of your will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. We pray this in order that we individually and as a church body may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way. We pray, Father, that we would be bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to your glorious might, so that we might have great endurance and patience and joyfully giving you thanks, our Father, who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. Father, thank you that you have rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son whom you love, in whom we have the redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. Help us, Father, to grow in Christ in these days. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.